Want to know what strategies real graduates use to launch their career? Well, here's your chance. From personal stories to insider tips, our interviews with graduates and campus recruiters will equip you with the knowledge and inspiration you need to take off and stand out from the crowd. Brought to you by Prospel, your one-stop shop for finding and securing your dream internship or fresh graduate job. One of the most common questions we have or common issues for students is what does career X actually involve? It's not clear to me. You said a lot of information out there assumes what a particular career path is all about. And I don't know if this resonates with you, but our experience, certainly my experience as a student was that a lot of these are just total black boxes. And that's the reason for us wanting to talk to people like yourself who've been at it for a couple of years, cut your teeth in the real world and can perhaps share a few insights and insider tips as to what it's actually and what students should know, what you might've wished you'd known if you rewind a few years and help students make better informed career decisions. Sounds great. Yeah, it resonates with me. When you go to university, you're taught to perhaps think in a particular way, but it doesn't necessarily line up with what happens in real life practice. Yeah, that's it. What's your background story? What did you study at uni? Where did you study that type of thing? I studied in Hobart. I was at the University of Tasmania for five years and I took a double degree in economics and law. I think for me, the main focus was in the legal sphere and economics was the other part just ran out of my education a little bit and that led me at the moment to working in government in the legal space there. Brilliant. And so you're at the Attorney General's Department. Yes, Attorney General's Department in Canberra. For laymen outsiders like me, what do they actually do? So think of the AG's department as if there's anything the government does that's legal, anything to do with the law or justice, the AGD will be involved in whatever capacity. It could be anything from family law to criminal law to corruption or fraud. So very broad, very diverse. If it's got something to do with the law and government's involved, the Attorney General's Department will be there. I think that's the simplest explanation I can give to really pair it back. If there's law reform happening or if there's legal issues that are live, that's where it is. Got it. So this is both advice and support with setting new law as well as adhering to existing ones. Is that? Yes. It's the full spectrum. It's from monitoring and administrating current legislation and laws in the country. It's about law reform. So if you want to change the laws, it goes to the Attorney General's Department. If the Commonwealth of Australia launches legal action or is involved in the courts, the Australian government solicitor with inside the Attorney General's department will be involved. So it's the full spectrum of the legal process from the initial idea for any piece of legislation to if the Commonwealth is in court, essentially. So it's anything and everything in between. Wow. So it just a parallel might be just as a corporation relies on a law firm for all their dealings with the law. You are essentially the law firm, in-house law, legal support for the government. Yes, definitely. AGD would be, best way to put it, the in-house law firm for the government and not just the government of the day, but also departments and agencies. Each agency at the federal level will have its own in-house legal team, but often advice needs to be sought from the Attorney General's department about that. That's a good way of putting it. But on top of that, it does do a lot of things around legal policy as well, which I know is a bit of a vague term. Maybe we can talk more about that later. But does the government ever rely on external legal firms for support or is everything done in-house through the Attorney General's Department? It depends on classification of work. Anything that's international or constitutional in nature is tied to the Attorney General's Department. So anything of that variety that comes up, 
the Attorney General's Department and within that, the Australian Government Solicitor would be involved. Other things you would see the Australian Government Solicitor. So I should provide some context. There are five groups within AGD. One of those groups is the Australian Government Solicitor. And they will compete against private law firms, the likes of Ashurst's or Clayton Newtz's, AGW or Ebsworth. They'll compete alongside AGS in tendering for government work. So there is that sort of competitive element as well. It does inject a bit of a private legal environment if you do work within AGS as part of AGD. Got it. What were the five groups? Sorry, I didn't follow that bit. Government departments typically structured into sort of groups divisions, branches, and then into teams. At AGT, there are five groups. There's the Australian Government Solicitor. There's the Integrity and International Group, the National Security and Criminal Justice Group, and the First Nations and Communities Group. And the last group is Enabling Services, which is HR, finance. Out of the five groups, four of the groups is where the legal work happens. Interesting. Got it. And so you're an analyst at the moment. A graduate. Graduate. I guess formal title would be policy officer. Policy officer. What does that involve? Again, from the perspective of someone like myself or a student who has, is the first time they've heard of an attorney general's department. The thing about this is that it's very much dependent on where you work and the team that you're in at the department. So these broad sort of terms are thrown around a lot, which isn't particularly helpful at all. But to give you a bit of an idea of what I do sort of day to day, uh, you could be doing anything like preparing briefs for the attorney general, who is the minister responsible for the department or the secretary, who's the top public servant in charge of the department, or you could be helping write media releases, or you could be working on reviewing proposed legislative drafts or be doing things more like project management or program management side of things, being involved in setting up a new agency, for example, which is what I'm doing at the moment, helping out in that space. So it's very broad, it's very varied. And if you're starting out, you often get the nice tasks for a lot of entry-level people where you'd be responding to members of the public writing and voicing their concerns about what the government of the day is doing. Your task is to craft some helpful words that the attorney general or someone in the department can sign off on. So it's a full spectrum of work and you get exposure to a lot of different things. But it is very broad and it's very varied. And some of the terminology around what they call your job title isn't particularly helpful, but you're never siloed into just doing one thing. You are a true generalist in every yeah. sense of the word. Oh, that sounds very interesting. So those five groups, you're not allocated to any one of them permanently, it sounds like? At the very start, if you enter an entry-level graduate position, you have complete flexibility and it's encouraged to move around the groups. And it's actually mandated that you need to move around to get a lot of exposure. After that, you do tend to settle and you find a team within one of those groups. But starting off, you have any opportunities that you can reach for. Yeah, very interesting. Sounds like really broad exposure very early on. Very broad exposure. And I think you get anything from the everyday mundane tasks to very high level exposure coming in at this sort of level. Uh, not a lot of people get exposure to some of the senior executives in the department compared to graduates. So you do get a sort of a great mixed bag of opportunities and something that a lot of other people just don't get. Yeah, totally. So you've been there, what, four months, six months? Yes. Yeah, four months now. Awesome. What's the coolest 
project or thing you've worked on so far? My current rotation, working in the National Anti-Corruption Commission Implementation Team. To give some context, a lot of people hear about the New South Wales ICAC and how it addresses corruption. I think for me, being involved in setting up the federal government equivalent is very exciting. And every other state and territory in the country has a corruption or integrity commission of some kind. The Commonwealth doesn't yet. It will have one on the 1st of July. Working in a team where it's very much the government's number one priority to set up this corruption commission has been exciting. I've been able to do everything from sit in on meetings and provide secretariat support, the highest levels of leadership in the department. I've been able to have full exposure to program management and experts and that, and how to actually manage many streams of work at the same time and all these moving parts together, which is something I actually didn't think I'd have exposure to being a legal grad to actually have exposure to setting up something, not just writing laws or thinking about law reform through more of an abstract sense, but actually seeing the implementation in full swing. I have to say being part of something that is probably the government's number one priority at the moment is the course thing. This is only the first rotation. Pretty incredible, especially so relatively early in your career journey and getting thrown straight in the deep end. It's often one of the gripes we hear from grads in government roles is that the responsibility is very slow to be handed out, whereas it sounds like you're straight on the tools and into it. Yeah. And I think at the moment in terms of working in government, there are so many things that are happening, so many moving parts. You've got to be the person who's ready to put their hand up all the time. I think you've got to agitate if you want those opportunities. I think you can definitely coast through, but if you want more responsibility, you've got to prepare to put your hand up and unfortunately suck at some of the tasks you do for a while and you'll get a lot of feedback. But it's all a learning opportunity and it's all a very good exercise. Good on you. Great attitude. We'll come back to speaking more about the role and responsibilities a bit later, but maybe we can rewind for a second and go back to when you're a student studying law and economics. Do you remember how you first heard about this particular role and perhaps what it was about it that interested you? I think I was drawn very early on to private legal practice. I had a lot of years locally in Tassie in that sort of environment and a few experiences on the mainland as well. I think those experiences were definitely very helpful and something that I would continue in the future, but I thought I'd want something with a bit more sort of impact or where I could actually see how it affects people day to day at both a macro and a micro level for a few reasons. I think a lot of work that I was doing at university in student leadership in advocacy and volunteering was very much having an impact on, on individuals, but also things that were more system-wide. Having conversations with recent grads, having conversations with some of the lecturers at, at university, talking about what other opportunities are there really. And initially government work didn't really appeal to me. I didn't really think about going down the public service route. I was very much keen on private sector, but looking more and more at what government does, and that was in my fourth year out of five years of uni, looking more and more what that does, going through the process and then seeing a sort of past students at my university go through that process, whether it was at the attorney general's department or other government departments in Canberra, I could see the appeal of that. And then going through the application process and identifying why do I actually want to be here really resonated with me as a person. So I think that's where it all began, a bit of a long journey there. But for me, it really does come back to where can I have an impact? Where do I see a future where I can have an impact? I think government is that sort of future as well. I think looking out for those opportunities, being proactive was where it all started. 
Very thoughtful of you. And you mentioned you had some experience with private legal practice that helped you narrow down. What did that look like? So I had exposure to working in some firms in Tassie for a while, and they were great experiences, really good experiences there and diverse work. And I had an experience in Melbourne as well, where it was completely different to legal practice in Tasmania. It was lots of large corporate deals, things you'd read about in the financial review. I have to say, I really enjoyed all those experiences, but for me, I thought in some ways I'd flogged myself pretty hard you know, at university. I thought, I don't know if I want to be necessarily first year out doing the longest hours. I think I want to reorient my life a little bit, have a bit more of a balance and then come back to that at another stage. Definitely open to that idea. But I think for me, it was very much as much as having an impact as possible, but also trying to enjoy myself a little bit more after a few very serious years at university. No, it absolutely makes sense. Were they internships or clerkships you were referring yeah. to? Yeah. So yeah, a combination of sort of clerkships, but also ongoing casual work as well. Yeah. Working hard, work-life balance, plus looking for meaning in your work ended up steering you towards government opportunities around fourth year. Yeah. Yeah. Nice one. Do you remember how you found out about attorney general's department? What it was that appealed about that specifically? So I think when it came to it's like nuts and bolts, looking at all it's like graduate programs, searching yeah. for that and then just looking through all that was on offer. And then I think in terms of honing it in where in government I'd like to be, I think AGD was where I wanted to go because it's at the forefront of legal reform and legal policy in the country. I wanted to be involved in something where you weren't just going to be doing something more legal practice oriented, but you'd also be involved in legal policy and law reform and a greater diversity of work than just helping another government department in-house with finalizing contracts or whatever it might be in that sort of sense. So I think a broader experience as well. Totally. No, that all makes a lot of sense. For the benefit of students who think this sounds interesting so far and are think about, thinking about applying, do you mind walking us through the application process as you remember it? I can walk through the process as it applied to me and then I can touch on some things that have changed as well, if you like, about the applying to legal practice and government generally, because I've been a little bit involved in that too. That'd be amazing, mate. Thank you. Stock standard process. You'll see the job will go live on the APS jobs website. We'll also have links on a government department specific websites like the attorney general's department website. You apply, submit the standard information, answer a few questions. And then from there, they'll do their initial screen. There'll be some sort of extra testing they'll do. I think more and more recruiters are doing interviews, but you type the answers into sort of a chat box, sort of question prompt that they give you. From there, they'll assess that again. So there's a few stages after that. And you'll go to an assessment center. The assessment center, I think, is one of the most important aspects of it all because it's demonstrating a lot of different things. The first is it will demonstrate your communication skills because you'll be given a task. It might be a presentation. It might be a problem you have to solve. Or it might be something you have to analyze and provide some sort of brief history and then recommendations on. So it's assessing your communication and then analytical skills. And that's convincing the assessor 
who's in that assessment center. How do you think? Can you think in a way that shows those critical thinking skills, but also I think creativity, adaptability, those sorts of things. And then as part of that assessment center, you have standard interview style arrangements. You often have those star questions that they'll give you. So you need to think of very specific examples and how they apply to your life or challenges that have come up. Give those specifics. What was the task that you had? What was the actions and what was the results involved? From there, it goes to a merit pool process. So they'll rank your performance. Essentially, you'll provide preference on where you're where you might like to go across all of government, so not just the Attorney General's department, and then hopefully a match will be found. Now, what's changed a little bit for this year's process, and I think for future years, is the legal streams for each government department used to be separate. Now they're doing a whole of government legal stream intake. So anyone who's a legal grad, they'll apply to this stream and they can go to any legal area of any government department as part of the Commonwealth previously was a bit more separate. So it's the same as the APS general stream that's been running for a few years now. Got it. Very interesting. So maybe we can talk in a little bit more detail about each of these steps. The online application seems pretty standard. You meant like a chat or automated interview as the second step? Do you remember how yeah. that? Yeah. There was a few questions and I'd give you scenarios where you had to respond and step out methodically your response. I think with those sorts of interviews, your structure is just as important as the content, because I think you're given a hundred to 200 words to answer each question and there are about five questions all up. So it's as if you get onto an online retailer and it comes up with, Hey, how can I help you? Those sorts of, well, it's set up like that essentially. So that's that process. So written responses and timed. I don't think it was time to memory. I don't think it was. But yeah, you finish it all in one session. It sounds like it's not something you save and research yeah. and come back to. All in one session, typically, yeah. Okay. Assuming you do well, that led to the assessment center and said that sounds like the most important step. So the interviews happened in that same session, like the one-on-one -on -one interviews? Yes. From memory, it was three people. I think it was a representative from HR and then two interviewers. You'd have the presentation you had to do all the tasks that you had to do first and then straight into the interview questions. Yeah. Wow. And there was three interviewers and you. Yes. Yeah. And still virtual at that stage. I'm not sure if that will change. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I guess you would have been doing it during tail end of COVID perhaps. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You mentioned a bunch of skills there, like communication, analytical skills how you think and it's difficult to demonstrate the best of times, but in a group setting, how does that work? That sounds really challenging. So I suppose you've got to be able to really put in the time to prepare with these sorts of things. I think that's fairly obvious and it goes out saying, but you've really got to be across the content involved. So I remember when I had to do the assessment center, it wasn't something related at all. The work in particular, it was very general in focus was about COVID-19 and just the impacts generally. So you could really go any sort of angle you wanted to. So you really had to drill down. It wasn't something you could do on the day. So I think coming with the preparation to the assessment center, where you just cross everything as much as you can be and be able to deal with as many questions as possible, 
or take it in a particular way that was creative or new is really important to try and make your mark. Essentially, you want to be able to stand out as much as possible. You don't want to be sort of rehashing things that aren't particularly original. Yeah. And help me picture this in my head. You've got some kind of facilitator. You've got all the grads sitting around a table in a room when you're actually solving these problems and demonstrating these skills. How's it look? So with the assessment center, it's just yourself. I don't get you to uh, do a group exercise. Oh, it's not as a group. Uh, yeah. For this task, not a group exercise. I know there's a bit of a trend towards group exercises, but not for this one, thankfully. There are for some other streams that I've been talking well, That's what I was trying to work yeah, out. Like, trying to yeah, yeah. demonstrate problem solving when there's 10 other grads all solving the same problem. Yes, that is a bit tricky. I know from personal experience that you've got to be very careful how you balance how you come across, but also trying to have your voice heard. Yeah, in this particular instance, you were one-on-one or one-on-three and they gave you a scenario, a question, and you'd solve it, work through it on the fly in front of them. Yeah. Got it. Makes it a bit easier. Okay. Still daunting and challenging having to work it out on the fly. Is there any way that you'd recommend preparing for this, given the problem that you are given is fairly abstract and unrelated to the role and what you've studied, is it something you can prepare for or are the questions very deliberately such that there is no advantage to someone who's super prepared. They're trying to see, they're trying to put everybody on the spot with something from left field. And so you just got to go in and rely on raw talent. I think it's a both in terms of your presentation itself. You want to be able, because you give me something very broad and abstract, you want to be able to drill into some specifics. You need to take it in a particular angle and be targeted. I think that's really important, but I think generally you need to be across the subject matter and it's hard to prepare because they might ask you questions that are totally unrelated to your points. So it's a bit of both. I think you can focus on those sorts of things together, but your presentation, be targeted, be specific, take it in a particular angle, make your claim, but then also be prepared for questions that might be totally unrelated to what you've presented on, but what might be generally covered in the scope of the task. Good advice. Do you remember the most difficult interview question you got and perhaps how you answered it? I think it might've been something along the lines of them asking me, asking me, how do I justify the angle I've taken this? Not necessarily asking me about like, okay, interesting point. What do you think about this proposal? as something you could add on to what you're thinking. Instead, it was more sort of fundamental saying, well, why do you think this angle is particularly appropriate? Why have you taken this particular focus? I think it's a tough one because you spend so much time getting stuck in the weeds a little bit. You get, why did you take this in a particular angle? So being able to justify that is really important. And even if you don't really know, being able to set out your answer in a methodical, structured way is really important. So. The structure of your answers again is very important. If you can take an assessor through three steps and that's a, you don't really know what the three steps are when you've said there are three steps, but if you can take them through each time and give yourself some space to think, I think that's really helpful, but definitely caught me out a little bit. So that would be the toughest way I tried to address it. Be very structured. Good stuff. That, that's all really useful. Maybe we can talk a little bit about the early days on the job, particularly given a lot of it should be relatively fresh for you. How's the f- initial first few days and weeks look? Like talk me through the onboarding process and what students might expect in those really early days and just finding their feet. Very early days. It is all about getting to know the department, getting to know 
the people that you've started a graduate program with and you're going to be seeing the next 12 months with, that is in a nutshell what the first week, two weeks is like. So as part of that, there's a lot of training. There are social events involved and there's a lot of opportunities to just see the department and just get a sense of how things operate in government generally as well. We're working at the Attorney General's department, but of course it's one department of many at the Commonwealth level, having to wrap your head around how all these systems and processes work. It's a very good onboarding process. You're given a lot of time to settle in. And if you do intend to take the graduate diploma of legal practice as part of the graduate program, which the department does pay for fully, you'll have three weeks of training in total at the start of February. So if you're not doing that GDLP, or if you've already done it before you came to the grad program, you only have one week of training, but if you do the GDLP while you're at the grad program, you'll do two, where in that second week, your practical legal training starts. So it is a very gradual process. And I think it's a really rewarding process. You get to know the grads in your team as much as you get to know the government in which you're, you're working in for the next 12 months. There's plenty of opportunities to really develop those relationships with the 30 or 40 other grads that you'll be with for the next 12 months. So it's a very good onboarding process. It is a lot of information. I think any grad in any role does get fatigued at the amount of information that's thrown at them, but it does set you up very well. Totally. You touched on the training in the early days, the GD, was it graduate diploma of legal practice? Yeah. Beyond that, is there any training, learning opportunities that are formalized beyond just learning on the job? Yes. The first week of training, they do throw a lot at you in terms of how to work in government, but throughout the entire graduate development program, there's training sessions all the time. So I think for the first three months, we'd have training from anything on writing ministerial briefs and writing ministerial submissions to how to influence stakeholders, to how to analyze your impact when it comes to policy development, learning about the policy cycle. That's all very policy and legal policy oriented. And then of course they give you the more technical nuts and bolts training about how to navigate the internal systems. So there is a lot of training throughout the graduate development program. We do some other training as well. We give other sort of government department grads as part of APSC training with some sort of in-person events there. Not a whole lot, but a lot of the training is done in-house for the first few months. And it does continue throughout the rest of the program. Amazing. Sounds very comprehensive. Are you paired with anyone more seniors, any mentoring programs, anything like that is available for junior employees? So they run a graduate buddy program. You're assigned a couple of buddies who are former grads. Of course, you have your supervisor as well, and then you have a dedicated employment programs team. So you've got a few different layers there who can help you. And it's all focused on ensuring your development. Your supervisor will have undertaken specific sort of graduate supervising training. So know how to supervise grads. So yeah, there's a lot of different layers there, but it's all geared towards your development in all aspects, whether it's formal on the job stuff, or if it's incidental networking and social aspects. Amazing. Good stuff. You mentioned earlier on that one of the main draw cards of the role you're in was work-life balance, uh, especially compared to private practice. Good opportunity to touch on now. What does work-life balance actually look like now that you're in the role? I have to say, getting to the office in a very practical sense, I get in the office 8.30, sometimes a little bit earlier. And on average, I'll be leaving you know, no later really than probably quarter past, half past five. 
Sometimes there's more work to do. Sometimes there isn't. I think there's a real emphasis on ensuring that grads aren't being stretched too far, but there are of course also opportunities to work harder and longer as well, depending on sort of business needs. So hopefully people aren't twiddling their thumbs. You've got access to the standard sort of perks that government workers get. So you get flex leaves. If you work longer than seven and a half hours in a day, that banks up every minute over that banks up and that goes to your flex balance. I've already taken a full day of flex in my first rotation. So that's seven and a half hours of flex built up. I think I've got a couple more coming up. The hours you do work past your standard work hours, you, you do get recognition for that. It's a great environment. This is recognition that grads shouldn't be in the office for too long. It sounds like a healthy culture, especially for you coming from private practice where there's probably a really noticeable contrast. A hugely noticeable contrast and I kind of fiction experience in my own department, but people are very explicit about taking care of yourself and actually prioritizing it. It's not just things that are talked about, it's things that are very obvious and very actionable. And that's very clear from the sort of the top hierarchy down to the bottom that you know, people's well-being is very important, not just for your sake, but for everyone's sake, yeah, a noticeable difference. And I can actually see sort of practical terms. People will be there saying, log off, it's time to go home. That's good to hear. Good, healthy culture, especially given that's what you're solving for, that work-life balance, being very deliberate yeah. in that. Nice one. And you touched on perks, being that the flex leave. Is there any other perks that stand out for you as a grad? I think the opportunities, this is perhaps grad-specific to be exposed to a diversity of work that you wouldn't necessarily be exposed to if you were in a different sort of position, but at a similar level, which I think I touched on at the start. So anything from the low level to the high level sort of tasks, anything where you're in the weeds, in the details and stuff that is a bit more abstract. So I think that's definitely a part perk of being a grad itself. I think having access to standard things like health and wellbeing, reimbursements and stuff to further your own wellbeing, great facilities and range of social club and diversity network opportunities and grad specific volunteering opportunities within the department itself. There really are the opportunities on offer for anyone and everyone. So if you've got an interest, there is definitely a group within the department that would cater to it. You know, anything from mental health to disability, to fundraising, to organizing a speaker series, to be helping organize the, the social club bar. There's a lot there, but yeah, there's a lot of different perks and I think they're just there for you to really uh, be proactive and take the initiative with. Yeah, awesome. You mentioned the health and wellbeing stuff. What are some examples of the types of support that are provided there? You have access to almost, I think, 300 bucks reimbursement. Just further your own health and wellbeing could be buying swimmers or goggles or runners or because Canberra is a particularly chilly place, you could be buying a puffer jacket, which I know some people have done. I think among some people, there's definitely a bit of an environment of being active and amongst the grads of being active and doing sporting things all the time to social club run sports amongst other departments and there's a lot of people who cycle and those sorts of things i think someone in the grad program is starting a walking group there's a whole lot of different things that are perhaps more formal to very informal sounds like a lot of fun the social side of things you mentioned the social club what's the kind of office vibe like have you made friends how's all that side of work for you I think this is unique to Canberra. I might just step back from some of the department specifics, but 
a lot of people move to camera. I'd say majority of people would move to camera for these jobs. It's actually a really weird environment, but in the best way possible. Everyone's new. People don't really know each other. So there's lots of opportunities to make friends and everyone is really eager to make friends. It's, I think, probably one of the only opportunities that you'll get at this stage in life where everyone is new again in such like large quantities and scale. Definitely had that at school or at university. This is perhaps one of the last times all that, where, that, where that will happen again. So not just at AGD, but across all government departments, you will meet people just naturally. And there are so many social events that are happening. You'll make friends very quickly. But within the department itself, the graduate group is always very social. There are always plans happening for trivia during the week. So every Tuesday we do trivia. Every Friday there's after work drinks. There's always an event that people are interested in going to on the weekend. There's always something on, and that's very informal. The department itself has its own social club, and they do drinks every now and then. They organize events with some of the diversity networks at work. So there really is a lot on offer, very easy to make friends and also easy to get along with other people in your team too. I speak to a lot of other grads and I think people really gel with the people in their team. Everyone is very friendly. Everyone's very eager to have a chat. It's a very social environment and there really is something on offer for everyone. How good is that? You're spot on about the double-edged sword that is moving, everyone moving to another city. Obviously you're away from your existing friends and support network, but so is everybody else. So it's a great forcing device because then you have all these other people who are in the same boat and looking to make friends and results in the environment you just described. Yeah, it's seriously a great environment and it's lots of fun. It's just the first few weeks, you just meet so many people and you, you do definitely find a crowd. Sounds like a lot of fun. Good on you. Back on to the more work stuff. Actually, you mentioned the sort of pro bono or fundraising type work that is supported in some way. Do you mind elaborating on that? Yeah, sure. For the context, there's the Graduate Fundraising Committee, which is solely run by grads in the department. I'm the treasurer of the committee this year. And essentially, we're split into eight or nine different subcommittees, which are all themed in a certain way. It might be mental health or disability or animal welfare whatever it might be. The pure goal is to just raise funds for charities. Our most recent event was a bake sale for Legacy just after Anzac Day. We raised just over 1500 bucks across the entire department for Legacy. Last year in total, they raised about $45,000 for all sorts of charities. It's big money and it's a lot of work, but it's an opportunity only open to grads. No one else in the department can be part of this opportunity. It's definitely a rewarding experience. And something just completely different to work. Like it's just time you can spend during work hours and the department supports you to do it, but something you can just devote to. We actually helping people in really tangible ways. So a lot of local charities are, are involved. Good on it. Be really rewarding and another way to bond with your fellow grads. Yeah. Good stuff. We've rightfully focused mainly on the pros, the good stuff of working in the Attorney General's Department. Is there anything you'd change or that? you feel isn't so great that grads or students perhaps should be aware of before making the jump? I think generally it's important to understand working in government can be slow and there are a lot of clearance processes in place. There are a lot of systems in place to ensure that sort of the right decisions are made. I think they're important processes, but 
It doesn't necessarily mean that decisions are made in the most expedient way, but actually think about why they're in place. You come into the graduate program at an APS level three equivalent, which is very low on the scale of things. This sort of process for clearance and this process is actually there to protect you. No grad is going to be thrown under the bus if something happens in the department. There are layers and layers of people who are above you who have cleared off on things. I guess it's a pro in a way, but just managing expectations about how things are done in government generally is important. I think that's one of the main things I would say. That's well said. If you want to be a maverick and move fast and break things, the government's probably not the right career path for you. Yep. As you say, it's a good thing for you as a grad in that you have that safety net and probably a good thing for the public who don't have a government who's fast and loose with quite important issues. Yeah, exactly. I think it comes back to good public good, good public administration. And I suppose a benefit is you should be able to speak your mind in a way and give that frank and fearless advice that we love to hold on to as a traditional notion of public servants. But I know lots of grads and myself included are encouraged to say what we think and give an opportunity to give our opinion. You've just got to temper that expectation with the fact that it could be completely ignored. But there is that environment for you to be able to say what you want to a degree. But yeah, if you want to say a bit more fast paced and there are some opportunities in government for it, but if you definitely want it, then private sector is perhaps the way to go. That's right. There's a time and a place for fast pace. And if that's genuinely what you're solving for, you want to be a mover and shaker, you want to be shipping stuff and building and all, all that kind of stuff, the startup feel, there's plenty of employers out there that give you that, but you're unlikely to find that very often in government. Yeah. Totally. Now, this is all really interesting, Fletcher. From your perspective, moving forward, looking ahead a couple of years out, what does the career path look like for you? So I think for me, I'm very much interested in being in the public service for a few years, but also further study as well. I'd like to look at postgraduate study in law and then look at coming back maybe to the public service or looking to go private legal practice. I'm very passionate about the law. I know you can get a lot done in government, but I feel like I can get perhaps more done if I go and work in private practice and then look to becoming a barrister after a few years. So that's definitely where I'm looking in terms of my career and that sort of trajectory. But I think government's a really good place to start and does give you an appreciation of how the whole system works. Definitely. And if you were, uh, if a grad is to stick it out within the attorney general's department, is there a typical career progression pathway that a grad could try and work towards? So I think if you want a career in the public service, a lot of people do stay at the attorney general's department and then move up those levels of jobs in the public service. So you'll start an APS level three equivalent. And then a lot of people move to a high APS four or an APS five at the end of the grad program, and then can slowly build your way up there. And after, I suppose, a few years getting to some of the high levels, but it does take time. It is a long process. And a lot of people do, while they start at the attorney general's department, do move to other departments, do get exposure at other agencies and come back. I know a lot of people, a lot of leaders in the department have done that. That's if you want a typical public service career. You might move around a bit. If you want a bit more of a legal practice career in government, 
Some people might just solely go to the Australian government solicitor group within AGD, or some people will leave the grad program and they might actually work as a lawyer in a portfolio agency that the attorney general looks after. So that might be the Commonwealth Director of Public Prosecutions, something like that, or they might go private practice. So there's maybe three or so different career directories, typical public service, legal practice solely within government, and then edging towards private sector practice with a government sort of base. That makes sense. And for what I think was the first option where you work your way up levels up to levels four and five, is that what are those responsibilities look like? You take on more management responsibility, you take responsibility for a department. What does that actually mean in practice for your role and responsibilities? I think once you get to that four or five level, have a little bit more autonomy and find some of your own sort of streams of work or projects. And then I think once you start to get to the sort of APS six level, you do get a bit more sort of experience in managing others and supervising others. And then once you get to the executive level one, which is just after APS six, that's where you start to take on more supervisor roles and actually start to manage people as well as your own work. And for the benefit of us who are not really that familiar with the government hierarchy, so there's what, six levels at the junior? Yep. Talk me through how that looks. So you enter on level three as a grad. Do I understand that correctly? Yep. Yeah. And, and you have to go through each one in turn. There's no skipping. There's no. You can skip. You can apply for. So a lot of grads have applied for. So previous years have applied for yeah. a level five job and have got that sort of skipped level four. Some have applied for level sixes and have got that too. It does depend on, I suppose, on the prior experience you've had. So if you're going for an APS six right out of the grad program, I think most people typically have worked previously my postgraduate qualifications and that sort of thing. So there is some skipping that can happen, but once you set that sort of mind setting to the EO one level, you need to work your way up methodically. Yeah, that makes sense. And the initial six levels, are they all distinct in that they're all individual contributors rather than management role? What's, what, why the, what does executive EL distinction actually mean when you go up to that next category. I think my understanding is, I guess it's a pretty superficial understanding. You should, yeah, you tend to start to be managing people, managing teams or small groups, and then also tend to have expertise if at that level as well in a particular area, generally. Got it. If that makes it, sense. Is there any rules of thumb, like you move up one level per year or is it just fairly gray? It's hard to say. I think early on. There's definitely more opportunities to move up levels quickly, but I think once you start to get to this sort of the executive level, you stay in those roles for a bit longer. I think do your time in a way. I don't really yeah. know the, the time frames at that stage. Yeah, no, that makes sense. How many levels are there within the executive level structure? It goes executive level one and executive level two, and then from there it goes senior executive service. One, two, three, and then it's the secretary of the department. So secretary, deputy secretary, first assistant, first assistant secretary, and then the executive level two, one, and then the APS six to one. Got it. Okay. So that's the full hierarchy. So if you were like that's doing a, this for life, you'd be working your way up through those and ultimately to just running the show as a secretary. Hopefully. Yeah. Good stuff. And so you touched on 
skipping across to other government portfolio agencies. And then the final, the third one was private practice. Is the transition from government to private practice a common one? I definitely think it's more common than maybe it used to be. I think you were a government lawyer and that was all you did, or you were in private practice. I definitely know of people who have made the jump. I don't think it is particularly super common. I think if people just want to solely practice law and government, they just maybe work at the Australian government solicitor and don't do any legal policy work. But I think it, it is becoming more and more common. Yeah, totally. Brilliant. I guess by way of wrapping up, any final advice that you'd share with students who are, let's assume early in their degree thinking about going down your path and any tips that you'd share with them as to how they can get to a similar spot to where you've landed? I think my advice would be, you don't really know what you like and what you don't like, unless you've actually had a go at it. So you, you might think, forget about what you like and forget about what you're really interested in. You might think you absolutely hate something, but until you see it in practice or actually commit to doing it in real life. You actually have very little idea. Any advice for someone who wants to follow in your footsteps, assuming they're a current student? Yeah, I think it comes back to, you've got to be able to really try all sorts of things and they don't have to be for a particularly long time. You could do work experience for a week or something, or you could, you know, just shadow someone for a day, but until you actually have some experience of putting theory to practice, I don't think you really know what you like and you don't like. And you might be surprised about things that you said, I'll never touch, I'll, I'll never ever do. And you find it to be really enjoyable and really fascinating. I think that's what I would really recommend. Try lots of things. Cause I, I wouldn't have never known that I would be sort of more focused on government work if I hadn't uh, had uh, an experience in private practice. That's a really good point. And any tips on how to get that real world hands-on try before you buy experience? You need to just put yourself out there. You need to be able to contact people constantly, almost be borderline, I don't know, annoying. You send your CV out, end of first year uni, send your CV out to local law firms or, or if it's not law, you're just in local practices or businesses that do your thing. And just send them and say, Hey, I'd love to be able to spend a couple of days in the office and just be that person. I, I had so many emails I sent out at the end of my first year, didn't hear back from any of them. You know, we can go from there. Um, but also be patient because if people putting their trust in you is an investment, even if it's only for a day or a week, they live very busy lives. They've got bills to pay people to employ, whatever it is. So be patient, but also be ambitious, but just. Try your name out there as much as possible uh, and just show your interest, show a genuine interest in wanting to learn. I think sometimes I have seen a bit too much in the networking space. People can be very fake, if that makes sense. The advice of be yourself is great advice, but it's terrible because it's not specific and it's not really actionable. But don't try and be something that you're not is perhaps better advice. Stick to who you are, but do yourself out there. Be keen, be interested. Don't just see these opportunities of getting your name out there and getting experience as just, just, you know, pure networking, be actually genuinely interested and involved in these sorts of things. That would be my advice. 
That's really good advice, Fletcher. When you made these initial reach outs, what was the ask? Were you straight away asking for an internship or was it more, hey, I'm wanting to learn about your career? How did you frame that initial contact? I think it's very important very early on to be realistic about what you can do and what you can offer. I think we always talk about sort of your value proposition or whatever it is. If you're a first year uni student, there's actually very little you can do that is helpful. So framing it as, can I come in? Can I shadow? Shadowing opportunities are brilliant because they can lead to something that is more substantial, like work experience or internships a year, two, three years down the track. Shadowing, wanting to learn and and starting off from a very low base of a couple of days a week or a day or something like that. And really doing it as a learning opportunity, like you said, Jeff, is really important. Or how seeing as how can you tack it on to existing opportunities in an office or a business that might be something that's more casual work or clerical work that maybe doesn't require the expertise from the field that you're interested in. So if it's general administration, you might say, yeah, I'd love to come and learn, but I'd also be interested in this administrative assistant job. That's another way you can angle it. But yeah, be very realistic as to what you can offer because this if you're a first year uni student and you're saying, I'm, I want to be working on files, I think you just need to have a bit of a think about that. Yeah, that's good advice. And make your ass something easy for them to say yes to. It sounds like you weren't necessarily even asking to be paid. You weren't asking for to take time out of their day for training. You just literally learn from you, follow you around. Yep, exactly. That is my advice very early on. And then those opportunities can lead somewhere else. That's brilliant advice. You obviously have to have thick skin because you got a lot of rejections, but that's to be expected. And it still got you ultimately where you wanted to be with persistence. I think if I count all the times I've been rejected from something, probably upwards of 60, 70 times, whether it's a job or an internship or a scholarship, you just got to keep going. It doesn't matter. I'm not saying that I'm this great person, but it doesn't matter how good you are. Sometimes it is purely just a numbers game. It is just a scattergun approach and you're just going to apply and apply. And it doesn't matter how good your application is. Sometimes you're just not going to get through. Rejection is just part and parcel of life. And accept it early on. It's actually a great thing. Yeah, it works for you. And you said early on, it actually helped you in talking to alumni and grads. It helped you work out where you wanted to go. So it's not just about getting the foot in the door, this process of putting yourself out there and asking questions and be willing to look a little bit silly and vulnerable. It helps you work out where you want to go in the first place. Yeah, exactly. That is so important. 